If you have your uh, uh, Bibles with you today, I invite your attention to the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 94 and verse 17. This is the verse of scripture that we're using today, uh, following, as you know, in a, a series of messages, looking at various verses of scripture throughout the Bible uh, that contain the word if. The word if can also be translated since. You remember when the devil said of Jesus, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Well, he already knew who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was God's son. And uh, so the word there could be since you are. You, you are the son of God. Since you are, then you're hungry. You've been out here uh, uh, fasting all of this time. You're, you're bound to be hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Prove that you are. Uh, so throughout the scriptures, we've been looking at various verses that contain this word if. Today, the Lord willing, we're going to be looking at Psalm 94 and verse 17. Uh, and the title of the message is, If the Lord Had Not Been My Help. I appreciate so much the music that is presented today, especially the choir that just finished our special music about how the Lord has been our helper. And indeed he is. There's never a day. Never an experience that goes by, but what not God's grace is adequate and it is enough. And God is always our helper. He is always present with us. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And so we can be thankful that God is dependable, capable, available to us at all hours and moments, day and night, 24-7. So let's look at it. Psalm chapter 94 verse 17. Now we do not know who wrote this psalm. If you'll notice at the top of the chapter, if you have the kind of Bible, sometimes it identifies who the author is. We don't know who the author is on this. This is a chapter uh, written by, supposedly we can assume that it was David, but we have no concrete evidence that he wrote it. But whoever did write it, they are concerned about the injustice that had been taking place in their nation and perhaps toward him personally. And he has enemies that have gathered against him. And he is relying upon the Lord and he is calling upon the Lord and in essence is saying, I just don't know what I would have done had the Lord not been there to help me. So let's look at it. Psalm chapter 94 and verse 17. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence, in the abode of silence. Silence here is a reference to death. And in essence, what he is saying is, if, if the Lord had not been there to help me, then my end result would have been my own death. So whether it was a physical illness or whether there was a, a threat on his life by whomever the enemy might have been, he knew that if the Lord had not come to his rescue, if the Lord had not been there for him, then surely he would have died because of it. The King James Version uses the word unless. Unless the Lord had been my help, then I would have died. I like the way the message, which is a paraphrase of the scriptures, reads. It says, if God had not been there for me, I never would have made it. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt so helpless that you, you felt like that if, if the Lord did not come to your rescue, if the Lord was not there, uh, then you don't know how you would have survived it. You don't know how you would have made it through it. The Lord is your helper. And he will sustain you. Going back to the message once again, uh, listen to what he says and how uh, the author uh, uh, paraphrases this message. He said, who stood up for me against the wicked? Who took my side against evil workers? If God had not been there for me, I never would have made it. 
The minute I said, I'm slipping, I'm falling, your love, O Lord, took hold and held me fast. When I was upset and beside myself, you calmed me down and cheered me up. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a a threatening situation that would end up in your death. It's just a, a, a situation that frustrates you, that aggravates you, that drives you up the wall, as we say. And, and, the, and the psalmist is simply saying, Lord, you're the one who calmed me down. You are the one who gave me that inner peace that passes all understanding. And you helped me to get a grip on what was taking place in my life. There are two major ideas that I want to pursue this morning as we develop this idea of God being our helper. And of course, the very first idea expressed and written out for you on your outline is indeed this. The Lord is your helper. He says that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse 6, the Lord is my helper. Now, Hebrews 13, 6 is a quote from Psalm 118. If you still have your Bibles open to Psalm 94, just turn over to Psalm 118 for a moment. We're going to spend just a second here or two. But we just want to point out to you that in Psalm 118 and in verse 6, Verse 6 says, the Lord is for me, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Now you notice in Psalm 118, there are 29 verses of scripture. And of the 29 verses of scripture, the word Lord appears 26 times. You read through it and just the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. It is the Lord who is our helper It is the Lord who comes to us and rescues us from whatever the situation may be. It is the Lord who provides his grace that is always so efficient and sufficient that it can make anything that we deal with to be victorious. So the Lord, the Lord is for me. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now the greatest helper in the world is none other than the Lord himself. And every believer, if you are a believer in God, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a helper who will come to your aid anytime you need it and for every situation of need that may come your way. Now I want to take these four or five words of Hebrews 13, 6 and just spend a moment looking at these. And I want to focus on the word Lord. Notice who the helper is. He says, the Lord is my helper. Now the word Lord here is spelled with all capital letters. And whenever you find in the Bible where the word Lord is spelled with all capital letters, he is referring to God. Now you say, well, that's obvious. Well, yes, but there are some times when Lord, spelled with little lowercase letters, is a reference to someone else. Uh, such as a a king or a queen or so forth, the Lord, your majesty or whatever. If you were over in England, you would talk that way. But in the Bible, the word Lord is, the, the Hebrew word is Jehovah. And the word Jehovah or Lord literally means to be or I am. You remember when Moses stood at the burning bush And the Lord said, you're going to go down to Egypt and deliver my people. And and Moses said to him, well, when I get down there, they're going to ask me, by what authority are you doing this? Who sent you? What am I to say? And he said, say to them, I am that I am. 
And uh, that's his name. It's translated in other places of the scripture as Lord, as Jehovah. I am that I am. And what this means is that he is self-sufficient. God doesn't have to depend on anything or anyone. He is self-existent. He is self-sufficient. And he needs nothing else. If he created the world, he did so because he wanted to and he loved to do that. He loves you. That's why he created you. But he doesn't need you. He doesn't need me to sustain himself. He doesn't need this world in order to exist. God doesn't need anything that you have or anything that you do to survive. God is self-sufficient, self-sufficient. I am that I am. And this word Jehovah or Lord is used in the Bible about 6,800 times. And it is a reference to the Lord's self-sufficiency and self-existence. And this is the God who is your helper. We know the Lord to be what we call technically omnipresent, which means he's present everywhere. There's not a place that you can go to to get away from the Lord. The psalmist said, if I were to go up to heaven, the highest heavens, you are there. If I were to make my, my bed down in Hades or Sheol, behold, you are there. Where can I go to get away from your presence? You cannot run away from God. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. Also, he is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. That, that nobody can overthrow the Lord. Nobody is stronger than God. He is all-powerful. And then he is, he, is omni, he is omniscient. The word omniscient means that he's all-knowing. That you can't tell God something that he doesn't already know. God knows everything that there is to know. So he's present everywhere. He's all powerful and he's all knowing. And this is the God that is mentioned in Jehovah or Lord that you can turn to whatever your situation may be for the strength and the grace that you need. It will be sufficient for you, whatever it is. It will be tailor-made. Tailor-made specifically for you and your life and your needs, whatever they may be. I have my needs, you have your needs. They may be the sum of them may be the same, but all of us are uniquely created, uniquely have problems and situations, and God's grace is adequate to cover all of it, whatever it may be. And it is the Lord, Jehovah, that he says here. Now notice also the word is. We're going to develop this a little bit more toward the end of the message, but he says the Lord is. Not has been, nor will be, but is, present tense. So whatever your present situation may be, no matter how difficult or light or heavy or whatever, God is here, he's present today in your situation. And then notice the word my, only made up of two little letters, M and Y, but it speaks of a personal relationship between yourself and the living God. God is approachable. It is possible for you to have, and all of you who are here today who already know the Lord know what it is to have a personal relationship with Almighty God. And, and so he, he says, we have this relationship. As the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? He has no want of anything because God, God is his source. God is everything that he needs. And he has a personal relationship with God. The Lord is my, and then the word helper. The word helper, of course, means someone who comes to your assistance. Someone who comes to your aid, comes to your side. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of John. The Gospel of John, 
and the 14th chapter of John. And while you're turning to the 14th chapter of John's gospel, let me just simply remind you of the words of Jesus before he ascended to the Father. You recall in the gospel of John that Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit back to you. Now, when he was here on the earth, he was in a physical human body. He was the God man, 100% God, 100% man. So being in his human body of flesh and bone and blood, he was limited in where he could go. He could only be at one place at one time. So he said, when I get back to, the, to heaven, to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be in your heart and your heart and your heart and my heart and everybody else's heart. So he can be everywhere. And he identifies in the 14th chapter of John's gospel, he identifies the Holy Spirit as the helper. The helper. Look at it in John 14. Look at verse 16. John 14, 16 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. Now, if you have the King James version of the Bible, the word helper is comforter. So he says, I'll, I'll ask the Father, he will give you another comforter. But here it's translated helper. So the Holy Spirit is our helper. That's why I'm saying to you that God can be your help and my help all at the same time. He's all powerful, all knowing, all present in the person of the Holy Spirit who is the helper. He can help you. He can assist you. He can come to your aid. Now notice also same chapter, chapter 14, look down at verse 26. John 14, 26 says, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So again, Jesus is identifying the Holy Spirit as your helper, your comforter. Now, you still have John's gospel? Turn to chapter 15. In chapter 15, look down at verse 26. John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. So again, Jesus is identifying the Holy Spirit as the helper. Now look at chapter 16 and verse 7. Chapter 16 and verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So throughout these verses of scriptures, we are reminded of who God is. He is our helper, the Holy Spirit, who is God in the spirit. The Holy Spirit is 100% God, just like Jesus is the 100% God. There's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is your comforter. He is your helper. He will come to you in your time of need. With that in mind then, how does the Lord help us? When we are in need of his assistance and his encouragement and his strength, how do, we, how do we make contact with the Lord? How do we receive the Lord's help? Well, on your outline, I've taken the word helper, H-E-L-P-E-R, and let each letter stand for something that the Lord will do for you as your helper. And I'm suggesting that the letter H stands for that God will hear your prayers. 
God will hear your prayers. And this is Psalm 18, verse 6. Psalm 18 and verse 6. Psalm 18 and verse 6 says, In my distress, so the distress means there was something that was really bothering him. He was under distress. He was under pressure. He was disturbed about something. He was troubled about something. That's what the word distressed means here. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. Now notice the two different words here, called and cried. To call upon the Lord is to talk to the Lord. When you are on the cell phone uh, or some other landline phone, somebody asks you, what are you doing? You say, well, I'm I'm calling so-and-so. Well, well, what are you going to do? What do you mean calling? Well, I'm going to talk to them. So when you call on somebody, you, you do so to talk to them. When you call on God, you talk to God. Whatever it is that's bothering you, whatever it is that's causing distress or stress in your life, Talk to God about it. But notice the second word. He says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and I cried to my God. So that's a little more intense. It wasn't just saying, okay, God, let's talk. He, he, he increased the volume of his voice. He cried out to God. Have you ever been dealing with something? Uh, again, like the psalmist said in ninety four seventeen, if the Lord had not been there to help me, I'd have died. I mean, some of you, I know I have been in situations where if the Lord had not been there for me and I cried out to him, God, you've got to help me with it. Remember what uh, uh, Peter did when he was in the boat and the storm was was there and they saw Jesus come walking on the water and and, uh, they said, uh, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus... He could walk on the water. When he took his eyes off the Lord and felt the wind blowing against him and the water lapping up against him, he began to sink. You remember what he said? He didn't say, now, oh, God, Jehovah, Almighty One. He had a very short prayer. God, help me. That was his prayer. And it wasn't just a casual conversation, quiet talk. He cried out to God. And that's what he's saying here in the Psalms. I called upon the Lord And then I cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry for help before him came unto his ears. So you can approach the throne of God and cry out to him and scream out to him. Who delivered David in the difficult times of his life? The Lord did. And when did the Lord help him? When he called out to him. As we look at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 94, go back to Psalm 94. Psalm 94 and the first two verses list seven titles or seven names by which Jehovah God is identified. Look at them in verse 1. He's called Lord, God. In verse 2, he is called, uh, uh, wait a minute, I'm on the wrong, the wrong chapter here. Verse 18, verse 6. I suppose it is, yeah. Let me correct you. Go back to verse 18. I hope that's the one. Yes, Psalm 18, I'm sorry. Psalm 18. Now notice in Psalm 18, look look at the title above the chapter. That this Psalm 18 was written for the choir director. It was written for Andre, okay? 
a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day of the Lord, that he delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, now notice verses one and two. He called him Lord. He called him in verse two, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, my refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, and my stronghold. In these first two or three verses of scripture, David identifies the Lord as his refuge, his rock, his ref he's the one that he turned to in his time of need, and God heard his prayers. Don't let the little word my scare you. It's my rock, it's my God, my Lord. There again is that personal relationship. When you are in a difficult situation, who helps you? Not just the Lord. I hope you can say my Lord does. My God helps me. He is my rock and my refuge and my, my stay, my, my strength. He, he's a personal God to me. So the letter H stands for when you, when you pray to the Lord, and ask for his help, he will hear you. Now, there's a lot more to, to praying uh, that we don't just have the time to, to go into because uh, there's sometimes when you cry out to the Lord, you think he's not answering you. But you have to connect it to the will of God. When you cry out to the Lord, Lord, if it be your will, help me, deliver me, be my refuge. And an example of this is Jesus himself. You remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve that he was betrayed? You remember three different times he said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Three times, Jesus, the Son of God, asked that the cup of suffering, that he would be exempted from it, that it would pass by and he wouldn't have to drink from it. But remember what else he said? Lord, nevertheless... Not my will, but thine be done. And I believe that anytime you talk to the Lord and cry out to the Lord, you need to include that last expression. Lord, hear my call. Lord, hear my cry. If it be your will to deliver me from this, please do so. If not, show me what it is that you want me to do and to experience it. If it means I must go into the, the, the fiery furnace like the three Hebrew children, if it means that I must be thrown into the, the lion's den as Daniel was, uh, Lord, you'll be with me no matter what. I, I want your will to be done. And if you'll pray in that way, God will hear and God will respond. Now notice the letter E. The letter E stands for encouragement. God will encourage your heart Isaiah 41, 13, for I am the Lord, your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Notice he says that he will uphold your right hand. I don't know exactly all that, why didn't the Lord say your left hand? <laughs> but all through the Bible, the right hand is often looked upon as the hand of power the hand of strength, the hand of honor. Come and stand by my right side. Come and sit down at my right side. There's just something about the right hand that's used in the Bible. And so he says, the Lord, when you cry out to him, he's going to take you by the right hand and he's going to lift you up. I think when, when Peter was out there walking on the water and he began to sink, the Lord, it says he reached out and took him by the hand and lifted him up. 
And arm in arm, they walked on the water and got back to the boat. So there's, he says, I'll lift your right hand. I'll, I'll lift you up. I'll hold you up. So there's something about the hand where the Lord takes you by the hand. Thomas Dorsey uh, wrote about 300 songs and directed choirs for more than 50 years. And most of that time, he was connected with the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois. On one occasion, he was invited to conduct a revival at St. Louis. It was a time when his wife, Nettie, was expecting their first child. He was hesitant to go on the revival because it meant that he was gonna have to be gone for a whole week, and so he was kind of hesitant to, but Nettie encouraged him to go on. So he asked, uh, Dorsey did, a friend to go with him. And when they were on their way out of town, he remembered that he left his music at home. So they had to turn around and go back. When he got home, uh, he had left the music in the bedroom under, the, under their, their bed, and Nettie was asleep, and he didn't want to disturb her, so he just kind of tiptoed in and, and knelt down and pulled the music material out from underneath the bed and, and, and quietly tiptoed out and got back in the car and, and was back on his way and on the way to St. Louis. During the first night of the meeting, a young boy brought a telegram to Dorsey while he was still sitting on the platform. It was horrible news. It was a message that his wife had died giving birth to their son. He rushed to the telephone while the people were still singing and found that the message was true. A man drove him back to Chicago that very night. When he arrived, he found that the baby boy was seemingly fine. And yet that night, the boy died also. He buried his wife and the son in the same casket. During the next few days, he became despondent. He was filled with grief. He had thoughts of going back to the world's music because that's the kind of music that he had done before God saved him and he got into Christian work. And yet he knew that God had taken him out of all that. So he went over to what's called Madame Malone's College to see a good friend, Professor Fry. They walked around the campus for a while and then they went into the music rooms. He sat down at the piano and began to improvise on the keyboard. Suddenly he found himself playing a particular melody that he'd never played before. He began to say, blessed Lord, blessed Lord, Dr. Fry heard him and walked over to him and said, why don't you say, precious Lord, precious Lord. And so Thomas Dorsey wrote this, precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on and let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. When my way grows drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. When the darkness appears and the night draws near and the day is past and gone, at the river I stand, guide my feet, hold my hand, take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, and I'm worn. Through the storm and through the night, 
Lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. So whatever the difficulty may be, the, the, the psalmist and the Lord promises, I'll lift you up by the right hand. The letter L stands for love. So God loves you unconditionally. We don't have the time to explore Luke 15, but it's the story about the prodigal son. You remember the son who went to his father and told him uh, he wanted his portion of his inheritance. He took it, he went off to the, to the big city and, and, and wasted all of, that's what the word, word prodigal means, means to waste. So he went off and he just, he just ran through his money. <laughs> it was just fast and furious. And when his money ran out, his friends ran out on him. Dra uh, uh, famine came. He was end up in the pig pen. Uh, worst thing in the world that in the mind of a Jew for a Jew to have to uh, have anything at all to do with pigs, let alone to eat the same food that he was feeding them. That's what it got down to. I mean, he was starving to death. And he said to himself, how many hired hands do my father have back home? And they don't have to go through all of this. I know what I'll do. I'll get up and I'll, I'll go to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against God and, and I've sinned against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as, as your hired hand. The father, I, I think it doesn't say so, but it does say that he saw his son coming. He ran to meet him. I like to think that the father perhaps went to the front door of his house every day when the boy left. Every day since he had left. Looking down the road, one day, maybe he's coming back. Maybe he's coming back. And when he did, he didn't wait for him to get there. He didn't wait for his son to get down on his knees and beg for forgiveness and take him back. He went out running to him. And when he ran to him, it says that he fell on him. Doesn't mean that he knocked him down. It just means that he embraced him, hugged him and kissed him and welcomed him back. There, there was, he knew everything was right between him and his son. Unconditionally, he loved him. That's the way God is with you. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how bad you've been. God doesn't hate you. God loves you and He welcomes you with open arms. Whatever it is that's bothering you, whatever distress, whatever problem, whatever trouble that lays so heavy on your heart, God loves you and He wants to lift you up by His right hand and hold you in His arms. The letter P stands for provides. Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply all of your needs, not some of them, but all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. On May the 4th of 1942, food was rationed in the United States. During World War II, the federal government began rationing to ensure a fair division of essential items and to keep inflation from skyrocketing. I was born in 1943. And although I was a baby, I had my own ration book. I still have it. It says on the front of it, slap the japs. It's, a, it's in a leather cover. I still have some of those stamps. Now, I wasn't old enough to use them. I guess that's why I still have them. Some of the stamps, I guess my mama used it to buy milk or whatever it was. But I still have that ration book. And, and, and one of the first things that was rationed was sugar and then coffee and meat gasoline, canned items. Everyone cooperated in the rationing system. There was a limit on what you could get. Jesus promised that all who come to him would never experience a spiritual rationing. His promise is that you who receive him as savior will always have availability to them. All that pertains to life, he speaks of the abundant life of living water and living bread. Even the Apostle Paul talks about God's grace being sufficient for you. 
The letter E stands for erase. God will erase your sin. Doesn't matter what sin you've committed. Doesn't matter how often you have committed it. If you sincerely, genuinely repent, which means to turn away from that sin, and you turn to the Lord, He will forgive you. And one of the terms that's used in the scriptures is that He will erase it. God has a big eraser, folks. No matter what it is that you've done in the way of sinning, he can erase it and blot it all out. It says in Psalm 51, 9, Psalm 51, 9 was David's prayer for forgiveness of having committed adultery and murder. Adultery and murder. Two sins, or big sins, and yet the Lord forgave him. And he cries out in Psalm 51, 9, he says, hide your face from my sin and blot out all mine iniquities. Just erase it, Lord. That's what he does. The letter R stands for refresh. God will refresh your spirit. The word refresh can also mean to rest, calls you to rest. When you, when you are resting, you are refreshing and rejuvenating yourself and your energy. Uh, Psalm, uh, I mean, one, uh, 1 Samuel 30 1 Samuel 30 is the account where uh, David, you remember he was still running from Saul. This was before he was king. Uh, he had a lot of people gathered around him, a lot of soldiers. They were out one, one uh, period of time uh, raiding someplace somewhere, going off somewhere. While they were gone, uh, a group of people, uh, their enemy came, kidnapped all of their children, kidnapped all of their wives, Took, took all of their possessions and left. When David and his men got back, the, his soldiers began to mutiny. They cursed David. They blamed him for all of their problems. What did David do? You read 1 Samuel chapter 30 and he says, he went to the Lord in prayer. He laid it out before God. Whatever it was, he said, Lord, you know the situation. They've come and they've kidnapped our wives and our children and all of our material possessions. We don't know what's happened to them. We don't know exactly where they are. What do I need to do, Lord? Is it, is it okay? Should I go after them? Let's, the Lord said, yes, go after them. He went after them. They were able to reclaim. They, they got their wives back, their children back, the material possessions back. They destroyed the enemy and they came back. But they were about to kill David because of all this. They blamed David for this. What did he do? He went to the Lord for help. And it says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. That's the same thing as saying you just, you just lay it out before God. You trust the Lord. Uh, you, you rest in the Lord. And he will give you the strength that you need. The rest that you, you remember what Jesus said? In Matthew 11, 28, 29, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will what? Give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. So Jesus is saying, whatever your problem is, whatever the situation you're dealing with, you come and you lay it before me and I will give you. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. There's not enough money that you can purchase it. There are not enough good deeds that you can perform to merit giving, uh, experiencing the refreshment of almighty God. He says, I will give you rest and you shall find. Where are you looking to find rest? Or are you looking for it in a bottle, in drugs, or in uh, some other kind of a, uh, escapism that you're looking for? 
And all the while, Jesus is saying, I'm the answer to your problems. I'm the one who is the Prince of Peace and can give you the rest and the strength and the refreshment that you need to sustain you in your life. Come unto me, lay your burdens down before me, and I will give you rest, and you will be refreshed. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, and verse 31, that the disciples were exhausted because Uh, Jesus had been performing miracles and healing people. And it says that the people were coming and going and crowding them all day long. They were exhausted by the end of the day. They had not even had time to, to, to have a meal or a snack. And Jesus says, come, uh, let's go to one side and rest a while. The King James says, let us come apart and rest. And old Vance Havner, the great evangelist used to say, you need to come apart and rest before you come apart. So whatever it is that's pulling at you and pulling you in all different directions and that's troubling you, you need to come to Jesus and rest in him. There's so much more here. that We just don't have the time to look at it. So let's go on to the second idea and then we'll be through. And that is the Lord's help is available at all times. At all times. It says in Psalm 54, 4, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. His, uh, his help was available in the past. Over in 1 Samuel chapter 7, it says that Samuel took, a pile, uh, took some stones and, and made a, a monument. And, and, he, and he stacked them up and he named it Ebenezer. Now we sing a song about Ebenezer. When I raised my Ebenezer, you didn't even know you had an Ebenezer, did you? What does the word Ebenezer mean? Well, you know, sometimes the scripture defines a word for you because it says that he named it Ebenezer, which means up to this point, God has been our helper. And and so they ask him, what does all that mean? What's this pile of stones mean? It's a monument. And he says, when your children come by and ask you the question, what do all those rocks mean all piled on top of one another? You say, well, that's Ebenezer. And that's just a monument that reminds us we are where we are today because in the past, God helped us. God helped us to get where we are. And so you can raise your own Ebenezer. You look back at your own life, the difficulties that you've gone through, the dark valleys that you've had to experience and go through and how you were desperate and God came to your rescue and you mark that down as a monument. Your Ebenezer, God helped you to work your way through that And he sustains you through all of that. This city, Nacogdoches, Texas, is filled with historical monuments, Ebenezer's, if you please, that mark at this point, at some time in history, this happened and this has been erected here to remind us of that very fact. There's one right out here in the front of our church. A monument, if you please, that says back in 1884, uh, we had, there was no Baptist church in the city of Nacogdoches and Luther Rice Scrubs was sent here to establish a church and in 1885, Luther Scrubs Grubs and 13 people became the charter members of First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches and that sign out there is a plaque to remind us of our beginning. It is a monument. It is our Ebenezer that says we're here today because in the past God helped and God sustained and God strengthened and God led the people to establish our church in the past. But also look at the present. 
He is also in the present. It says in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Present help, present tense, right now. God is our refuge. He hides us. God is our strength. He helps us. And so God is available to you today. Thirdly, the future. In 1 Samuel 11, Saul is still king. He is charged uh, and uh, as king leads uh, his people against the Amorites. And uh, he needs some assurance that the victory is going to be his. And so in 1 Samuel eleven nine. 9, The Lord says, tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you will have deliverance. Well, what time does the sun get hot in the day? Well, probably, what, midday? In the morning hours, it's real cool and nice. There's sunlight there. But by the time the sun gets up, what we call at noon, then in the afternoon, boy, it gets real hot in the summertime. And the Lord was saying to him, Saul, by the time the sun rises up and starts to get hot, victory will be yours tomorrow. So you've got the past and you've got the present and you've got the future. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes and he's there to help you whatever it may be. Now, I want to close with a true story that happened to me this week. You know, God has been my helper all through my life. He has for you too. And I know that he helped me because I couldn't save myself. I needed salvation and God provided it for me. When I surrendered my life to become a minister, God's been my helper, my my guide, provided my every need, everything. Well, this week, I know this will seem uh, trivial to some of you, you unimportant, but it was important to me. Linda and I took the week off and we went to Cibolo, which is a suburb of San Antonio, to visit our daughter and family and grandchildren, spend the week with them. So uh, we were taking a, a mattress and box springs. I had it all strapped down in the back of my pickup. Jimmy Carpenter helped me. And boy, when he strapped something down, it's strapped down. I tell you, it is. But we, you know, there are three Buckies between here and San Antonio. <laughs> How many of you ever been to a Buckies? Hey, see, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Cleanest restrooms this side of heaven, I guess. <laughs> we stopped. At Madisonville, we went to Bastrop. When I got to Bastrop, I needed some gasoline. So I pulled up to the gas pump. Linda went in. While she was there, I got the gasoline, was pumping, filling my truck up. Everybody, every man needs a truck. You don't care what his wife says. He needs a truck. (laughs) So I filled it up with gasoline, got back in the truck, and was going to move it so I could go in and turn the key on. Nothing. I mean, deader than a doornail. It, I, I tried again, nothing, nothing, nothing. I said to myself, what in the world am I going to do? I'm out here, middle of nowhere, <laughs> don't know where to go. I, I, my battery's dead, can't get it started. I had some jumper cables. And so I saw this fellow across the parking lot there, and I motioned for him. I said, can you help me come jump, jump start my truck? Sure. Wouldn't work. I mean, he tried, we tried it two or three times, couldn't get it started. What in the world am I going to do? So I put the jumper cables up. He went on his way, and here I am standing. Linda's still in the office. What am I going to do? So I said, I, the Lord said, go inside. So I went inside. Well, there were a couple of people who worked for Bucky's there. 
the electricity had cut off and they were checking the pumps to see if they were still working. And I said, can you help me? He said, no, we can't. we're not allowed to help. Okay, I'm abandoned. Linda's not there. Where's the Lord? You know? <laughs> so I go inside. I think, well, maybe if I can find a Chevrolet dealership, you know, Jason, maybe I can get, somebody, get some help from them. Well, nobody knew where one was. I said, have you got a telephone book? Yeah, we've got a telephone book. So I started looking up, but while I was looking up the dealership or automobile place or something or another, I looked over to my side and there stood a man and he was dressed in a mechanic, mechanic's uniform. He overheard me talking to the clerk about needing help, couldn't get my truck started. He said, I can help you. So we went outside to my truck. I'd left it by the pump Two aisles over from where I was, was his wrecker. He was a wrecker, a truck wrecker. No, I mean, he didn't go around wrecking everything. He, <laughs> he pulled his wrecker over to the side. He has extra powerful batteries of some kind. I don't know. I, I barely know where to put the oil or the gas. And so he said, I'll, I'll jump start it for you. So he hooked it up, hooked it up to my battery. He tried. I clanked. Nothing. Nothing. So he said, well, we just need to let it charge up for a little bit. So he charged it for about 10 minutes, cranked right up, cranked right up. And he says, now, if, you, if you've ever been to Bastrop at Bucky's, you go back up to 21, which is about a quarter of a mile, get back on 21 and go up, there on the left, when you turn on the left, is his automobile place, his, his mechanic place. I followed him over there, and they put a new battery on it for me. $275. Now, the battery didn't cost that much, but he charged me for charging, for charging my battery and uh, several other things, I suppose, that I didn't know I got. I'd have paid 2000 to, to just got it. <laughs> now, I know that that's silly. It doesn't amount to, but I'm telling you, God helped me. I, I, I cannot, you cannot convince me otherwise. How was that guy in the store at the right time when I needed help? And how did he have a record truck and a, a powerful battery enough, strong enough to jumpstart me and then help me get a new battery? I give God the credit for that. I do. Let's pray. Father God, you're so good and gracious, so dependable, so available. Thank you for helping us no matter what our problems may be. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Andre is going to lead us in our hymn of invitation. And if there is a decision that you need to make to be saved or to join our church or whatever it may be, we welcome you and encourage you as we stand and sing.